And I want you also to open up to Acts 20. That's where we're going to be today, continuing our verse-by-verse study. And it's so important that you get in the habit of, of not just being believing what you're being told, but see, open up God's word for yourself and see this is what it says. Because it doesn't really matter what I say if it's not backed up by what God says. That's what's most important. So don't take people's word for it, especially in the world we live in today. And just to kind of front load or give an application of what we're going to talk about today. Have you guys ever been in a situation in life? These are always rhetorical questions, so the answer is yes. But just to get you thinking, um, have you ever been in a situation situation in life where you just feel like you're spinning your wheels or you're not getting anywhere. You're trying to accomplish something. It's not happening. In a sense, you feel like you're butting your head against the wall or there's just like there's no movement forward in whatever it is you're, you're trying to do. Have you guys, can you relate to that? I mean, that's something that we can experience often in life, right? Now, sometimes that's just because there's adversity in life. Life can be hard. It's difficult. You know, way back in Genesis, when sin came into the world, Jesus said, or God said, this is how it's going to be. It's going to be hard now as a result of sin. That's why we're looking forward to Jesus returning and us being freed from that hardness that comes with sin. Amen? But having said that, maybe you've experienced this as well, that sometimes I can be my own worst enemy and that I can make my life a lot harder than it really needs to be. Because... I just automatically kind of move forward into what I think feels like the best thing I should do or makes the most sense to me without ever taking the time to ask God, what, what is your will, which he says is good, pleasing, and perfect, and then waiting on him to lead me into it. And since I'm making things happen in my own power and I'm not looking to God to lead me into things, and then the result of that is that... Things in my life become difficult because it's not where God wants me to be. You guys experience that at all? And then in hindsight, God in his grace gets you out of that place and brings you right back to where you were supposed to be and and you see it. after. Yes, amen. I'm so thankful that he's such a perfect father. Just the same like with our kids when they disobey. Doesn't mean we abandon them. Doesn't mean we don't love them. Doesn't mean we still don't want good things for them, right? We bear with them. And we help them get to that place where we know they'll be best off. And that's what God does to us. But the whole point of that is that what I'm trying to say is that God has a specific plan for each of us. And what we're going to see is Paul point this out as a principle of ministry. Along with a few others as we're continuing in this section where Paul has gathered these Ephesian elders, this leadership of the church. And he knows him knowing this is the last time he's going to see him. He's he's pouring into them these principles of ministry and i think if you guys were here last week we started this we're going to continue it into next week just with these points and things that probably if you've been a christian for any amount of time you've heard these things before they're not necessarily new but they're very profound in that they are not easy to do all right remember we don't want to be hearers of the word only we want to be doers because we don't experience the blessing god intends for us unless we actually are able to do these things in our lives and we can with god's help that's why he gives us these things but we need to be reminded because we need to always be checking our lives to see is my life reflecting this all right we're christians not just by verbally saying that but we want to live as christians so that we can experience that 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 new life, that abundant life that Jesus intends for us. Amen? Amen. So it's important to note these principles. So let me read this section of scripture that we're going to be in today. I'm going to read the whole thing. Sometimes I think it's good just to read a big chunk of scripture. And then uh, we'll go through it verse by verse. So this starting in verse 22. And it says, uh, actually, I'm going to have you guys stand up. Just because... Sometimes it's good to give reverence to God's word. We don't do this all the time, but you do see instances in the Old Testament where they would stand up to read God's word just to give significance that this was God speaking, all right? So it says in verse 22 of Acts 20, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem. This is Paul talking, constrained by the spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus 
to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Lord God, again, we just pray for a blessing on your word. Really, the principles that Paul points out here are endless, and I'm just touching on a a few of them that I believe you put on my heart as words that we needed to hear and be reminded of as a church body. But Lord, uh, we know all of your word is, is good. It's necessary to equip us to do every good work. So there's not a single part of your word that is boring or not applicable. It's all good. And as we go through these truths, we want to remember this isn't Pastor Chris teaching this stuff and just telling you this is what it looks like to be a Christian. This is the very words of God himself giving these things to us through Paul so that we can experience every bit of the blessing you intend for us in our lives and not miss out. And Lord, I think I can speak for everyone here in saying that we would all agree that we don't want to miss out. We want all of you, everything that you have for us, Lord. We've tasted and seen how good you are, and we we don't want to go back to those things of the world that you saved us from. So Lord, speak to us, be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can take a seat. So starting in verse 22, it says, And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem. Remember, Paul's on his way to Jerusalem when he calls this meeting in Miletus, says, constrained by the Holy Spirit or constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So, Paul tells these elders, he's letting them know, I'm heading back to uh, Jerusalem. Uh, basically, you know, his kind of his home church area, uh, going back to the mothership, if you will. And he says the reason he's going is because he's constrained by the, Holy, by the Spirit, constrained by the Holy Spirit. Basically, what that means is that at some point, God made it clear to him, this is what I want you to do. And he's like, so I'm just, I, I got I to go back, all right? And one of the reasons he's doing that is because he's pointing out to them, I'm not sure what's going to happen to me there, but I I get the Lord is telling me there's going to be some sort of adversity in the future in my life. And it may have been that as he's going from town to town, some of these believers are getting words of prophecy and they're speaking to him saying that, Paul, you shouldn't go. There's going to be imprisonment and afflictions, as verse 23 says, um, which is a reminder that basically God doesn't always, sometimes he allows us to go into adversity in our lives. We live in a world that's full of tribulation and stuff, but the benefit of, of knowing God is that he's working all those things for your good. And he uses the very hard things to make you more like Jesus, all right? You can't have that without Christ. That's only a promise with Christ. But sometimes he sends us into those, and he was sending Paul into them. And he's trying to let them know this. He's saying, I, I get that, guys. I get that there's going to be hard things. I don't know exactly what that's going to entail, but God has told me that's where I'm to go. So I'm going to go. And it's interesting because uncertainty can often be a hindrance in our lives to us wanting to move forward in what we believe God is telling us, especially if we think that whatever that is that he's asking us to do is going to be hard or bad. Would you guys agree with that? If I don't know exactly what is going to happen and I have reason to believe it's going to be difficult, that can be a hindrance to moving forward in the will of the Lord. But what I want you to note here about Paul is why he was able to move forward. And it's because he he tells us that his serving Jesus and doing what God's will was for him was the priority over anything else in his life. It was even more important than his life himself, as he says in verse 24. He's not being this person that's like, oh, my life's not worth anything. Or No, he gets that it's worth a lot. 
But he also gets that, hey, my life is Jesus's. He gave his life and bought mine. And when it comes down to it, I'm moving towards the greater goal of being with him. So whatever he wants me to do on that path to him, that's what I want to do. Even if it means giving up my life. Jesus telling us himself in Matthew 16, 24 through 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way or the idea is what you want or what makes sense to you. You must take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Jesus making clear right there that following him, being obedient, doing what God tells you to do, isn't always going to be comfortable. It isn't always going to make sense in your limited understanding or what you want or what you think is best. But rather, being obedient to God often involves doing something that maybe you wouldn't choose to do in your own understanding or something that makes you uncomfortable. That's the whole idea of taking up a cross, okay? Because obviously, the cross for Jesus was not comfortable. It wasn't enjoyable. He did it because of the blessing that was going to come out of it. Namely, you were going to be forgiven of your sin and saved. That's why he did it. But in God's will for us, what Jesus tells us is you will truly find a life worth living, which is impossible to find in all the other things in this life that we can spend so much time trying to find it in. You might get some sort of temporary contentment, some sort of temporary joy, some sort of temporary peace, but it doesn't last. It doesn't give you what you're looking for. And that's why we have this tendency to hop from thing to thing to thing. Because what you're looking for is found in Jesus and what he has for you. And I want to make sure right off the bat that us being obedient to God and his will for us, that's not why he chooses to show his grace and save you, okay? He chooses to show his grace out of his love for you and save you before you ever even do anything to obey him, okay? But... Being obedient to God is what allows us to experience so many benefits of his grace or favor in our lives. And what I mean by that is that there is blessing that comes with obedience. There's tangible happiness in good things that you experience in your life when you listen to God. Jesus says this in Luke eleven twenty eight: Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it or obey it. So he shows you his grace before you ever even have done anything But to experience the tangible benefits of it, you got to listen to see those the the blessing that comes with obedience. And that's important for us to understand because to be willing to do what God wants instead of what we want. Sometimes I think we think that, okay, well, it's, it's like like I look at it from a child parent standpoint. My boys just think that I'm telling them what to do because... You know, I'm being really dramatic, but there's, he thinks he knows best for me. He's trying to ruin my life. You know, like I know what's best for me. Like that, like we were all young. We all had those type of thoughts. And that's what we think, you know, with our parents in our limited understanding, right? Because they've gone through it. When we get older, we see that. Oh, I, I understand what they were trying to save me from. I understand why they were telling me that now. Now, God, he, nothing slips his mind. He knows everything. So when he's telling us something, we need to understand, kind of think from a parent's perspective and understand that it's with your benefit in mind. It's not for his benefit. It's for your benefit. It's for his benefit because he wants to see his kids blessed. But it's for your benefit if he's telling you to do something, all right? And this leads to, this will kind of a long intro, but it leads to this eighth principle of ministry. I went through the first seven last week. If you weren't here, tough luck. No, Um, listen to the teaching because they're all very important points. This is the eighth principle of ministry that we see Paul give here in verse 24. And that is that God has a specific and significant plan for your life. God has a specific and significant plan for each one of our lives. Like Paul, God has a course or ministry, as verse 24 says, that he specifically called you to Ephesians 2 10 says for we are God's masterpiece 
He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. There's two big things in that that word, that verse that God gives us right there. Two things that we spend our whole lives in this world looking for. Number one, identity. All right? What does he call you there? A masterpiece. He's not something, you're not something he just quickly threw together with the time he had left remaining, all right? You are his masterpiece. You were, the idea is like when you think of something that was like, like, like skillfully and, and, and uh, made, like time was given into it, like, like prepped for something significant. That, that's what you are to God in Christ Jesus. That's what he's made you. You may not have been that before, but you are now through your faith in Jesus. And then the second thing, so there's identity. Through faith in Christ, you've been given identity. Second thing is you've been given a significant purpose. We all want purpose in life. What is the meaning of life? Why am I here? Why am I doing what I'm doing? To do the good things that God planned for you long ago, that you're able to do through Christ. So through your faith in Jesus, you've been given an identity and a purpose. Okay, and in that plan God has for you, you will be most satisfied in your life because it's what he made you to do. It's common sense. If he made you for it, then you're going to be most satisfied in it. And he's going to be most glorified through you in your life because it's what he made you to do for him. And in it, you're going to find what makes your life worth living. So you don't need to be looking at everybody else and wondering what is what what are they doing or why is their life so good or trying to be like somebody else which always just leaves you tired and because you can't be somebody else you don't need to look to the world to find out what your identity is or what your purpose is you just look to the creator that made you you look to jesus and you receive it from him, as verse 24 says, just like Paul did. It's not something you can manufacture or make happen, despite what the world says. You can be anything you want to be. No, you can't. And when you try that, that often leaves you feel really discouraged because you're not getting that thing. There is no way I could play in the NBA. I could try, but I can't jump. I'm not tall. I don't have the skills for it. We do our disservice. If we train up our kids and we tell them, and I get what you're trying to do. Like, I, we want to instill, like, working hard and putting in effort. Those are biblical principles. But that's not true. You can be anything you want to be. And nor do you want to, all right? Because here's the reality. If it's not what God told you to do, it's not good. All right? That's the reality. And you don't even need an explanation. Because God knows more than we do. It's only good if he says so. And if he says it, it is good. And so we go to him to understand this, like what his plan is, what his perfect will is for us. And so often we can make the mistake of just making decisions based off of, you know, what I think's best or what looks like the best course of action. I'm just going to move forward and I never take the time to ask God or wait upon him to kind of lead me as as the bible says he wants to do and this can be the reason why things aren't working out or they're a lot harder than they they seem like they should be because i'm trying to force things to happen or i'm not able to endure in something or keep going when it gets hard or i feel discontent in life and want to quit i've come to find in my life that there's nothing more that i want after following Jesus for 22 years, than to be doing what he wants me to be doing. Whether it makes sense to me or not, or to be exactly where he wants me to be. Because not only has he proven to me that I'm going to thrive there, and what I mean by that is that God knows where I'm going to be most fruitful and content because he's the one that made me specifically to do what he desired me to do in life. So he knows even better than me. And if I'm not in that place, I'm not going to thrive. It's kind of like trying to use the wrong type of tool for a job. I had a plumbing fixture. I'm not the handiest of people. 
thankful. I have a father-in-law that very is, and, and he's there to help. And, and there's a lot of you guys that are, and so I can call when I need help with things. But I was working on a, a, a plumbing fixture in, in my house, and I, it was something that you think would be super easy. It probably is. A lot of you handy people are like, oh, yeah, removing the trap underneath the sink. That's easy. Well, not when you have the wrong tool. <laughs> I was using like this little player of hand pliers that like you just grip. I don't even know what they're called, but they weren't even big enough to get around the fitting and the fitting's plastic and it was tearing them apart and I'm striving and, you know, just getting mad and not being like, not the type of be angry or be angry and be righteous. No, it was not that. It was like angry, angry, real anger and trying to get this thing done. And then, you know, I like go and frustrate and talk to my father-in-law and he's like, oh, He's like, you need, you got the wrong type of pliers. You need these vice grip pliers. And I get these pliers from him. And what, what I was struggling with for like 15 minutes, I got done in like five seconds. But that's what it can feel like, right? If I'm not where God wants me and I'm not doing what he wants, it can be a struggle. Maybe you do make it happen eventually, but everything's just all torn up and shot and you're frustrated by the time you get there. The other thing is that when I'm where God wants me to be, I can know that I didn't put myself here so that when I feel like quitting, I'm able to keep going. Because my, if I didn't put myself somewhere, then my confidence doesn't have to be in myself to keep being there or to keep myself there when things get hard, if that makes sense. It's the Lord to put me there. So Lord... I need you. You're going to be have to be the one that gives me strength to keep going and get this thing done for you. And I can know that that's a prayer God wants to answer because I know from his word that he doesn't call us the things he doesn't equip us for. Just like I would never send my child into something that intentionally I wanted them to fail in. Even if that means giving them whatever they need to succeed because that's what I want in their lives. God to an even greater degree. That's what he does for you guys. He calls you to something, and then he makes sure that you're able to do it, however long it might take. says that in 1 Thessalonians 5.24. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen. He will do it through you. But you only have that confidence when you know it's God. If I call myself into something, I might not be able to do it. So I don't want to be anywhere God doesn't want me to be because there's a whole lot of stuff in this world that feels impossible to do. And it very well is without God. But if I'm like Paul and I know the Lord's told me to do it, I'm going to be able to persevere even through the hard things, knowing that if God brought me to it, he'll bring me through it. Amen? Amen. Amen. So that's the first point. God has a specific and significant plan for your life. Make sure you're in it. It goes on in verse 25 and says, Now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So Paul lets these guys know that this is most likely going to be his last time seeing them face to face, knowing what was coming ahead in his life, or not knowing exactly, but thinking it was going to be something bad. But that he could leave them in good conscience, knowing... That, hey, guys, I've given you the whole counsel of God's word. As we talked about last week, Paul knew that, hey, I've given you everything you need. I've taught you all of God's word so that not only can you know who God is through faith in Jesus, but you can you have everything you need to live a life well for Jesus. I've told you everything I know. I have nothing more. And this allowed Paul to leave them confidently knowing that, well, there's nothing else I could have said or done to any more prepare you guys to follow Jesus in your lives. Not that he was perfect. None of us are. But he could honestly say, I did my best. With the time I had with you, I did my best. And I feel good about leaving you guys in this situation. And it's so important to me that at the end of my life, I'm going to be able to say the same thing about the people that God has placed in my life to minister to. My wife, my kids, you guys. Now, at the end of the day, I can't make anyone choose to follow Jesus or do what I say. And trust me, there's lots of frustrations when, like, I see my kids. It's like, I just told you this. Or even, like, some of you guys, I, we just talked about this. What, what's going on? 
But we're all at different levels. We're all learning these things, right? But at the end of the day, I'm, I, I'm not responsible. And this is something, maybe this is even a word for you that are frustrated with people. And you're like, you're not responsible for making them do anything. It's got to be conviction of the Holy Spirit. And they got to listen to God. But you're equipping them, right? And so at the end of the day, I want to know that I equipped everyone in my life so that I can hand them over to God, which we're going to talk about next week, and just trust them to God. I can't make you, but I can do my best to equip you and give you everything you need with the time I have to know who Jesus is and how to follow him well, the way he desires. As Paul says in Ephesians 5.16, make the most of every opportunity, knowing the days are evil. That's the idea behind that. Make the most of every opportunity in your life. And if I've done that to the best of my ability without holding anything back, then I can have a clear conscience in knowing that I've done my part and the rest is up to you. In a sense, I can trust you to Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, this is so important because here's the thing. If for some reason, Lord forbid, my boys as they get older, they decide to depart from the Lord. They decide to go in different directions contrary to what the word says or what I've taught them. I want to know that, all right, Lord, they're yours. You love them more than I ever could. I know you're not going to give up on them. I know you're constantly trying to draw them to yourself. But I gave them everything I did. I took advantage of every opportunity you give me to show them how real you are, to invite them into a relationship with you, to teach them your word so that I don't have any regrets. I don't say, oh, I could have done this or I didn't do that. Because at the end of the day, there's nothing more important than people knowing Jesus and following him. And that's what I want to devote every area of my life to helping people do. Amen? Again, we're not perfect. God doesn't ask for perfection. You are perfect in his eyes, but he doesn't ask for perfection. Just do your best. Be faithful. Whether he's given you five talents or ten talents or one talents, just be faithful with what he gives you. Amen? So at the end of your life, you can be like Paul and just in good conscience, I commend you to God. You're all his. We can all do that. Goes on in verse 28, says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now, if you ever wondered how somebody is made an overseer, an elder, well, it's really easy. It's kind of like the business world. You just work your way up. No, actually not. All right? Some, some people think that. We think that, right? Because we bring in worldly things into God's, God's church, even though... This is countercultural. We're not like the rest of the world, right? And here's the thing. It doesn't work like that at all. What it says here is the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. What happens is God says, tag, you're it. And it's not because of anything special. It's just for whatever reason, God in his great wisdom said, that person is going to be a leader in my church. He's going to be an elder. She's going to lead kids ministry. Whatever. He is the one that anoints people. And what happens is that person is operating in that calling long before they ever get a title. And it's recognized by the people around them in their life. And it's affirmed by the leadership of the church. That person is a leader. This is what God's, that person's a worship leader. That person's a kids ministry leader. That person is an elder. That's how it works. And it's really important to understand that because you, you don't strive for these things. You, again, it goes back to you don't want to be somewhere God doesn't want you to be because he's the one that anoints and equips and prepares you for whatever he calls you for. So there's no better place to be than where God wants you to be. And so what he, he's pointing out here, it's the Holy Spirit that makes or has appointed these elders. And what is it that an elder does? cares for the church the example of a flock or sheep are used here because basically shepherds that's their lives they stayed with the sheep all the time and they were responsible for leading the sheep for feeding the sheep for protecting the sheep because sheep are helpless 
In a lot of ways in this life, we feel helpless. We need someone that is speaking on God's behalf, that is leading on God's behalf to point us in the right direction, and that's to Jesus. And so that's what an elder does. That's what an overseer in God's church does. Now, Paul, he's telling these elders, pay close attention to those, or to to yourself first. Take care of yourself, and then to the rest of God's people that he's given you watch over. Why should you do this? He says, because they were bought with the blood of Jesus or because it's God's church and they are God's people. Now, that's important because any responsible person is always going to take better care of something that doesn't belong to them, especially when that item is valuable and it belongs to somebody of importance. Would you agree? If the new king of England, King Charles, right? He's not a prince no more. King Charles. If he says, and this would make my wife stay because her family's from the UK. So like royalty is a whole next level thing in, in our family. But if he said, I'm going to let you use Windsor Castle for the week in Chris suits. You can bring your whole family here. Enjoy it as you want. Any of you guys ever been to Windsor Castle before? I've been there. It's pretty cool. There's a lot of old stuff in it. Breakable stuff. So you better believe my kids would be on their best behavior because I'm going to leave that place as old as it is in better shape than when I came. Because I know who owns it. And, and there's a reverence with, with, with it because of that. All right? Now, in the same frame of mind, but in an even greater level, knowing that all of you have been bought with the blood of Jesus through your faith in Jesus, that you're God's children, that you're Jesus' bride... That should make us treat our calling and how we treat each other, how we minister to each other with reverence. Would you agree? Amen? I often tell my boys, when you guys start dating, here's a little word of advice, all right? You're not even going to start courting a girl until you go talk to her father. And you are going to get his permission to start courting his precious daughter. And then you're going to treat her with every, I mean, respect. You better believe knowing that that is his daughter. All right? And it'll go well with you if you do that. (laughs) But to an even greater level, when we know that what Christ did for us, what he paid, the value of us, and that he looks at us as his bride, that should affect how we treat each other. Right? Especially in those in leadership. This is not my church. You're not my people. They're God's. And we don't want to ever lose sight of that because it gives significance to what we're doing and and to you guys, how valuable you are. Amen? So that's why he throws that in there. Now, I also want you to note the order Paul uses in verse 28 is he says to pay careful attention to yourselves first and then to the rest of the flock. In that order of precedence, it's important for us to understand it. It leads to the ninth principle of ministry I want to point out here. You can write this down. Prioritize your relationship goals correctly. All right? Prioritize your relationship goals correctly. Or that you have to tend to your personal relationship with Jesus first and foremost in your life before you can ever successfully minister to anyone else out there. Here's a great danger in serving Jesus, if you haven't already recognized this, is if we're not careful, we can find ourselves doing the work of the Lord at the expense of your own personal walk with the Lord, okay? When true ministry should be an act of worship that comes out of the overflow of our relationship with God and what he's pouring into us. We're just pouring out to other people. But if that time where you feed off the word of God personally, or you have that personal minister being ministered to by God through your prayer time or that personal worship of God through just worshiping and hanging out with other believers and being edified and encouraged. If all of that gets replaced with your service to God, here's what's going to happen. Real quick, you're going to be tired. You're going to be weary. You're going to be discouraged. And you're going to have a lack of desire to serve anybody. Okay, and instead of caring for others, as we're called to do, you're going to have an attitude of like, I could really care less about 
anyone else. And inevitably, this happens because when we distance ourselves from God or we're not abiding with him, when our relationship isn't first and foremost the priority in our lives, we won't be able to do anything that he wants us to do, especially loving others, because we don't have him or we're not looking to him to help us do those very things that we could never do on our own. As the work of the Lord is impossible in our lives without the help of the Lord. He actually tells us that in John 15. Jesus says the priority in your life is to abide, is to stay connected to the vine, to stay close to God because you can't do anything apart from him. You guys ever pay attention to the message at the beginning of uh, like an airplane flight when they tell you all the emergency stuff? When they say like, if we get in an emergency and the oxygen masks drop, who do they say put it on first? Yourself, right? Why? Because if you lose consciousness, you're going to be no good to anyone else, okay? So take care of yourself first, then you can worry about other people. And it's much the same way with Jesus. Your relationship with him, he saved you to be with him first and foremost, to know him personally. Don't neglect that relationship. And for leaders within God's church, this is an especially, there's especially a high standard that comes with that position that demands his continuous help. It's not a standard of perfection, but it's definitely a greater standard of being above reproach because we're under more scrutiny. And with that comes greater opportunity to misrepresent God and comes the greater attacks by the enemy who wants to tempt you into doing that very thing. And so it becomes all the important for leaders in the church to stay close to Jesus. It's one of the things that I'm really, I have a burden for and that I try to be very intentional about having opportunities for the, the leaders in the church, the people that serve, to, we're going to do it right after church. We're having like a, what I call a, a, the people that vo- a volunteer huddle, where the people that volunteer at the church, we're going to have a meal together, break bread, have fellowship, and have like a specific word I believe the Lord put on my heart to encourage them, have a time of worship together. But because it's so necessary for us to not lose sight of our relationship with God, first and foremost in our lives. So that we can minister to others. And here's the thing. Your personal devotion to God being a priority is going to be the greatest gift you could give anyone else. Because the blessing you experience in your life is going to pour right out of you into other people. And there's tons of biblical examples of that. One of them is with David. All right. If you read the Psalms, if you're not familiar with them, he was a man of devotion to God, of personal worship to God, of personal prayer to God. And guess what he was in life? A giant killer. Literally. Killed a giant, right? But here's the thing. He wasn't the only giant killer. If you read 2 Samuel 21, 15 through 22, we don't have time to read it now. All the men that were around him in his life, guess what they did? They killed giants too. That personal devotion led to the Lord ministering to him, which he just ministered to others. And not only was he blessed, they were blessed. Now, if you look at the opposite with Saul who turned away from the Lord, according to 1 Samuel 15, 11, instead of staying close to him, he ends up being afraid of giants and not being able to combat them in the strength of the Lord. And in 1 Samuel 17, we see the guys that followed him, they were afraid and wouldn't engage with giants either. Never lose sight of your personal devotion to God. That's the priority. And everything else falls into place. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness all these other things will be given to you. It'll, he'll take care of everything else. Amen? Verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So Paul gives a warning here to the elders of the Ephesus church that once he left, wolves would come in from the outside. And what would they come to do? Not to spare the flock. The, the, the idea is they would come to harm people. And Jesus defines a wolf as somebody that's also a, a false prophet in seven, in Matthew seven fifteen, or somebody that speaks falsely in God's name. And then the other thing Paul warns him of are false teachers that would arise from within the church. Other believers or so-called believers, they'd come up 
And their goal was to draw people away from God toward themselves by taking the truth and twisting it for their own selfish reasons. Paul telling the leadership here that your job, it's not only to lead and feed the people, it's to protect them from people like this that would want to harm them and lead them astray. Paul giving us a 10th principle for ministry here, and that is that we are responsible for watching out for one another. Okay? Paul saying in verse 31 that in addition to feeding the believers in Ephesus, the word of God for three years, he also was faithful to warn and protect them from anyone that was wanting to lead them astray from the truth of God's word and harm them. All right? To the point of him being in tears. So that just shows his care. It shows his compassion. He cared about people, and that's what drove him to want to protect them. And we need to be those that are quick to call out anyone whose motives are malicious. And just to kind of like, you know, give some understanding of that. We need to make sure we're calling enemies the enemy actually, or those if we're calling somebody the enemy or somebody a wolf, somebody a false teacher, we got to make sure they're actually that, okay? Or basically, in, what, in, in what's defined here, somebody that teaches God's in, words incorrectly with the intent of harming people or drawing them away from Jesus to themselves, all right? And why I point that out is because sometimes Christians are really good about throwing stones at, or friendly fire, I call it, at like, like basically at other believers, and it's unnecessary, just because somebody doesn't have, has a different theological view on what we would call a secondary issue or a non-essential doctrine, like eschatology or gifts of the Spirit, that doesn't make them our enemy, okay? Just because somebody's different, remember this. Repeat this after me. Just because someone's different, it doesn't mean they're bad. All right? It's not an automatic thing, okay? Just because we're diverse. It's a beautiful thing. You, I look at all you, I see it really easily. You guys are a motley crew here, okay? We don't look the same. But we're unified in Christ. And we're all from different backgrounds, okay? And there are some things in God's word where there can be different interpretations on things. That doesn't divide us because we're unified around Christ. And we're all on the same team. We're all trying to put up points on the same scoreboard. We have the same mission, Right? And I, Jesus gives us an example of this in Mark 9, 38 through 40. It says, John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group. <laughs> Leave it to John. <laughs> Should we call down fire? <laughs> it's, I mean, seriously, he's like, Who, what's this guy thinking, dude? He's from the Baptist church. Dude, don't be doing that. You don't have authority to go cast out demons in Jesus' name. And Jesus' response is, don't stop him. Jesus said, no one who performs a miracle in my name, that's the key, in my name will soon, be able to, uh, will soon be able to speak evil of me. Anyone who is not against us is for us. Man, if they're preaching Christ and Christ crucified, they're not against us. Even if they do have some things wrong, they're still not against us. And so we don't treat them as the enemy, right? They're on the same team. All right, but when there are wolves in the church, again, trying to devour the sheep, trying to do harm to people, or those that twist the truth with this motive, like a selfish motive, to gain followers to themselves, and they're leading people away from God, we're to call them out. And actually, Paul does this by name in 1 Timothy 1.20. He calls some people out that are doing that. And, and, and I would say it's not for the purpose of condemnation. It's with the intent of correction so they can repent. And if they choose not to repent, then there's discipline the Bible leads us in. But that's the goal is they understand what they're doing is wrong and they turn to Jesus, all right? And, and then also our job is to warn and protect the rest of the church. And I had an instance of this recently. Like a lot of the stuff, you guys don't know what goes on behind the scene, but there was a guy that showed up to church and wanted to meet with me and right off the bat he was saying some things that were red flags like he'd been kicked out of several churches and never found a pastor he could get along with and when i hear stuff like that i'm like oh great (laughs) hands me his resume of how qualified he is for things and i'm just like okay um but i want to give people the benefit of doubt i want to i want to like if you're willing to sit and learn and be taught under the word and have a soft heart god can show you truth even if you don't know it so that's my heart but 
He kept wanting to meet with me and sell me on this ministry he was starting. And it was just totally not biblical and how he wanted to invite people from the church to be a part of it. And I said, dude, listen, here's the thing. I don't see in scripture where there's any of this. If you can prove me wrong, show me. But you do what you do. And I I encourage you, like, don't do anything that there's not an example in scripture for. But you do not involve our people. And he's like, and he very angrily said, well, that's crap. You know, this is what God gave me and I can't not do what God says. And I said, then you won't be coming to our church. And he didn't come anymore because his motives were exposed. You know, they were to lead people to himself and what he was doing and not to God. And that's my job as a leader to see those people and then to handle them with grace and truth. Amen. But if we see those people among us, we got to call them out. We got to basically challenge them with the truth of God's word, and that'll reveal where their heart really is, and call them out. All right, that's it. As the worship team comes up here, I just want to again reiterate these three principles because last week I heard a lot of good reports of the Holy Spirit just convicting people and speaking to them and encouraging them in these again, like what I'm saying, basic principles that we probably all know if we've been Christians for any amount of time but are so hard to just implement in our lives and and so easy to, in a sense, lose sight of and not be doing and then missing out on the blessing that comes with it. And so it's good for us to check ourselves. Go to God and have him check us and search our hearts. Lord, am, am I where you want me to be in these things? Am I doing these things right? Are you living in the specific plan God has for you for your life? Do things feel harder than they should be? Do you feel like you're hitting a wall? Do you feel you're not moving anywhere? Now, maybe that's just because there's adversity. Maybe it feels like that because God just has you in a season of waiting, but maybe it's because you're just not where God wants you to be. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that's the first thing you need. Because to receive that identity as his masterpiece and to receive that purpose, it comes through your faith in Jesus. You can't even know who he wants you to be and what he wants you to do unless you've acknowledged, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm not perfect. I realize that perfection is necessary to be in the presence of a perfect God. And I I believe that you love me so much you sent your son to die on that cross so that my sins could be paid for and I could be forgiven and made right with you. That's what you need to do first. And then you're given a relationship with God for all eternity before you've ever done anything. And then... He can start helping you understand who he's made you to be and that purpose he's given you in life so that you can experience that satisfaction and contentment, that joy, that peace that you're looking for. You'll find it all in Jesus. Amen? Now, if you're a Christian, we can still do this. We can be butting our heads against the wall, right? We can be in that, trying to make that thing happen that Lord's like, no. This is not what I want for you. I have something much better. And he'll patiently be with us, trying to give us little subtle hints, maybe sometimes intervening drastically, like to knock you upside the head and say, hey, this is not good for you. This is what I have for you. Get in line so you can experience the good things I want. But if the Holy Spirit's ministering to you right now saying, yes, you're not where the Lord wants you, I encourage you just kind of, the best thing you do, let go of the steering wheel. The only good time is to let go of the steering wheel with God. Let go and let him steer you to where he wants you. Just say, Lord, help me. I don't know. I feel like I'm lost. I feel like I'm, I'm somewhere I'm not supposed to be. Lead me to that good, pleasing, and perfect will. Is your relationship with God the priority it should be? Maybe you are like somebody that's, you're a faithful servant, man. You're doing everything right. You're serving the Lord every week, but you feel tired. You feel weary. And it's because you're neglecting your first love. And his word for you is, just return to me. Sit at my feet. There's plenty of Marthas in the church. You don't need to do that right now. Just come sit at my feet. Maybe this last song of worship is just for you. Because God's like, I just want to minister to you I want you to remember how much I love you. I want you to remember that I died for you. I want you to remember that you, this relationship, this is why I saved you first and foremost. And you just need to be reminded of that.
Focus on your relationship with God first and foremost. Then also the last one, just are we doing our due diligence to watch out for our brothers and sisters in Christ, our kids? Man, there's so much access on the internet right now to just all types of people. And unfortunately, a lot of them are false prophets, bad teachers. They're not teaching what God says. They're trying to fleece the flock. They're trying to lead you away from God instead of pointing you to God. They're trying to do things with intent of harming you in some way for their own selfish gain. If you see that in another believer's life, open up the word with them. Take the time to say, hey, this isn't right. This is not what God says. This is not what his intent is. Protect him. Amen? Amen. Lord God, as we have this time of response, as we have our prayer team up here, Lord, so many different things I heard last week that you were ministering to people. So we're all at different places. Even within these actual points, we can be at several different people struggling with different things. Maybe there's people here that don't know you. Today is the day they're going to experience your identity and purpose in in becoming a child of God for the first time. And it's going to be the greatest feeling of their lives. Not that their lives will be perfect after this, but... They'll taste and see how good you are and that you're what they've been looking for all their life, Lord. We pray for that, for anyone here today that has not asked you to be their Lord and Savior. Maybe for some of us, we've been following you for many years and we're at that place of just neglecting our first love. And we we don't feel like serving anyone. We don't feel like caring about other people because we're not close to you and those traits of yours aren't... um, being reflected in us because there's distance. And what we need to do more than anything else is just draw near to you. And we know you're here with us today. This is the perfect place to start. But we need to go from here and just making sure that our time with you is a priority and then letting you pour out of us what you're pouring into us and to others so they can be blessed as well. Maybe some of us are exposed to some of those false teachers, Lord. Maybe that resonates. Maybe we've been listening to people that sounds good, it tickles our ears, but it's not what your word teaches. And there's wrong motives in it. And it's actually leading us away from you and your truth. And we just need to repent. We need to turn back to what your word says because that's all that matters. Your word is truth and it'll endure forever. It doesn't matter what anyone says. We thank you you've given it to us, Lord. Meet us in this time, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.